The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Study from uh, earlier uh, about all the things that have taken place, but uh, this morning I, I didn't want to do that. We're going to be the last book, the last uh, chapter of Acts. Uh, and ha- have you ever heard the term "is someone being snake bit"? You know, when somebody says that term, that term's used to uh, usually to describe someone. No, no matter what they undertake, no matter uh, no matter what they do, it seems like they're doomed. They're just uh, you may have used that term for yourself. You're uh, some type of catastrophe is going to take place, and you might say, "I'm just snake bit when it comes to that." You know, whatever I do, and uh, Paul must have felt that way himself. If you've ever studied Paul's journey and uh, really looked at Paul's mission in life, uh, if he would have looked at himself, he he could have certainly said, I, "I'm just snake bit." And uh, this morning we're going to talk about shipwreck and snake bit. I mean that's what we're going to we're going to see. And just a little history about Paul. Paul and his friends are traveling to Rome. Now that was uh, that was Paul's purpose. Y'all remember that as Paul was converted, uh, he went to the Jews first, and the Jews really denied uh, who Christ was. A lot of them did, and uh, he he really understood that his mission was. Uh, a a minister for the Gentiles, which is us. You know, I've said it many times, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And uh, so that was his mission. And during this time, Rome was the, was the biggest city in the world. And Paul was there in Judah, and he, God had came to Paul and said, Paul, I'm going to send you to Rome. And because all roads lead to Rome... And all roads lead out of Rome. So what better place for the gospel to go than Rome? So God had told Paul, in no uncertain terms, Paul, you're going to Rome. And we begin to look at Paul's life, and we begin to look at Paul's journeys, and there's one obstacle after another, over and over and over. So that's the reason I think Paul could have certainly said, I'm snake bit when it comes to going to Rome. I, uh, I, I'm, every time I try, something happens. I'm doomed to failure. So what happens here is this is the, the very last part of, of Acts. Paul is, is on a ship, and he's headed to Rome finally. They run into a storm, and they're shipwrecked. And as they're shipwrecked, they... They run into a sandbar, so the front of their, their ship is, is uh, anchored in a sandbar, and the back of their ship is being torn to pieces by a storm. During this time, according to verse 44, each and every one of the passengers and crew made it to safety. Now, we could go back and study all this and see what happened. They were going to throw out lifeboats, and they were going to kill all the prisoners, and, and Paul was directing them, this is what needs to happen. And understand this, Paul is a prisoner headed to Rome. So he's a prisoner headed to Rome. He has some folks traveling with him. He's on this ship. The ship begins to uh, be tossed about and fall apart, and the guards say, we're going to kill all the prisoners. That would be Paul also, and uh, we're going to escape, and Paul directs them what they need to do. 
And, and Acts 28.1 starts this, and it says, now you may have different translations. Some say, now when they had escaped. Now, that's not talking about prisoners escaping. That simply uh, means when they had escaped the storm. Some translations may say, once safely on shore, whatever your translation says. Uh, once they were safely on shore, once they had escaped, then they found out the island was called Malta. So this morning we're going to talk uh, about about four things about uh, remembering when you're snake bit and shipwrecked. And, and we're going to see these lessons from the Isle of Malta. And to start off with, as I said, we, there's a lot of history that we're kind of skipping and we'll come back at some point in the future and we'll look at all of those things in Paul's journeys. But uh, the first thing I want us to, to notice this is no matter how bad things may look, God is still with us. Now, Paul, uh, he's shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been in prison. He's had all of these things, and now he's in a, in a shipwreck. And he's in a shipwreck, and in the midst of troubles, of storms, of, of every trial, of every sort, uh, whatever we're at, we need to remember as God's children, he's with us. He's, he's with us in the storm. He's with us in the, in the shipwreck, and he is still in control. Now, now, here's the thing. Paul's shipwreck was not a mistake. If we go back, and I just don't have time to keep going back, but if we go back, Paul told them, hey, if we, if we leave on this ship, we're going to have problems. But they, didn't, they ignored him. So he, he warned them. But, but even at this, they went ahead and went. They had, a, they had a shipwreck. It was no mistake. But there were some miracles that needed to take place. <coughs> there were some souls that needed to be saved. So Paul sets out to Rome. In the midst of his trip, he has a shipwreck. <coughs> God's not forgotten. God's not abandoning him. God's still in control because God said, hey... There's a little isle called Malta. Malta is a little island. It's a little nowhere place. And, and God said, there's something needs to take place in Malta. So there's a shipwreck, and those who made it to shore, they were wet. They were miserable. According to verse 2, and the natives showed up, and they showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome <coughs> because the rain that was falling and because it was cold. So the, the ship had wrecked, the sun had come up, they were able to see that they were there close to an island. Uh, Paul instructed those that could swim to jump overboard and start swimming. Those that couldn't swim uh, were to take a part of the ship, uh, a plank or a board, and uh, fasten themselves to it and start swimming towards shore. <coughs> those at, at Malta, they saw this happening. I'm, I'm sure some of them went off and assisted those that couldn't swim to the shore, and, and they got everyone there together. It was cold. It was raining. They, they built the fire up, and uh, I can just imagine that these, these natives, they, they, they're there at the beach. They don't know who these people are, and they go out, and they extend them a hand, and they say, hey, we want to we wanna help you. We want to bring you in here. So they build a big old fire large enough that uh, they can warm up all the survivors there, and, and not only were the passengers there, but the crew was there. They were all chilled from the cold waters, from the, the things that had happened, and on top of all that, it's raining, it says that in, in Scripture there, that it's, it's raining also, and, and so it's raining, and, and perhaps you thought to yourself before, good grief, could it get any worse? Could it get any worse? I mean, maybe Paul was thinking, you know, can things get any worse? And usually when we say that, what happens? 
They get worse. So here Paul is, and here's this ship, and here are these natives there at the Isle of Malta, and it's a little nowhere place and a little nowhere ocean out there. And, and uh, he's there, and it says in verse 3, And Paul, he went and gathered up a bundle, bundle of sticks to lay them on the fire. And a viper came out because of the heat, and it fastened himself to his hand. In other words, this snake came out. It bit Paul while he's gathering up wood for this fire. So, so uh, apparently pa- Paul is there. Apparently he sees the natives there, and they're bringing wood, and they're building a fire. And, and Paul says, you know, I'm going to help. I'm going to go do my part. And he goes out, and he starts gathering up sticks and things. And he goes over to the fire, and he throws this wood on the fire, and something grabs him by the hand. Now, I want you just to think for a moment, what would you do? If this happens to you, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think I know what I would do, but uh, I want you to notice what Paul's reaction was with the snake bit him. He, uh, he, he, it was simple and it was decisive. Here's what he says in verse 5. He shook the creature off in the fire and suffered no harm. Out of panic, what would you do? I would fling him on one of y'all, you know, and then he'd get you on the neck, you know, and I'm like, boy, that's bad luck for you. And uh, then after that happened, I would lay down and go, oh, a snake bit. Y'all see, your snake was on my hand. And uh, well, Paul just, I mean, just imagine this. Paul's gathering up sticks. He sees the viper. It's hanging from his hand, and he, he shakes it off and goes back to work. Well, when this happens... It says, like I say, verse 5, but he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Paul, not in a moment of panic, not anything supernatural. He didn't kneel down and say, we need to pray. I want y'all's prayer for me. He didn't stand up and start preaching a message to them about, look what God can do. He simply went on with what he was doing. Now, I want you to notice what the natives did. They had a little theological explanation to what happened to Paul all of a sudden. And in verse 4, they, we see when Paul was bitten, when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this guy's a murderer. No doubt. Though he escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. See, the natives looks, they said, well... He's getting exactly what he deserved. Evidently, uh, there's something wrong with him. Evidently, he's undoubtedly a murderer. And and evidently, uh, this storm was sent that it might take his life, and he survived. And and because he survived, God has sent this snake, and this snake is going to take his life. That's what the crowd said. And I want you to think about that. They, 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 They held this ideal that some still hold today. (laughs) <laughs> that ideal that any time we have some type of calamity in our life, any uh, some type of, of something that rises up, it's got to be because of some kind of evil. It's got to be because we did something wrong, and because we've done something wrong, uh, God is going to get us, and God is going to punish us, and God is going to cause this to happen. What has Paul done? Nothing. We can study all the book of Acts and realize that all Paul's done is said Jesus Christ is the Messiah sent by God to save the world. That's all Paul had ever done. But the people and Jews even, the reason he was headed to Rome is because Jews, the Jews looked at Paul and said, okay, Paul, we don't want you saying what you're saying. We don't want you doing what you're doing and and we're going to put you to death. And they would have put him to death, but Paul said, I'm a Roman citizen. I want to appeal to Caesar. That's the only way that Paul wasn't put to death by the Jews. So the crowd there, and even those on Malta, they say, well, he's evil. 
He's done something wrong, and he's getting exactly what he deserves, divine punishment. So this is what happened. They, they, they just had a mistake thinking that, that all wickedness that comes to people, all evil that may come upon people, is just a punishment. So they watched him, and he went over, and he shakes the snake off in the fire, and he, he keeps on uh, going about his business. He keeps on doing what he's supposed to do. Let's keep on reading this. They watched him, and verse 6 says, However, they were expecting him. These folks on Malta knew this was a poisonous snake. I, I watched some shows on television every now and then. I think the, the most deadliest snake, and I could be wrong, and you can correct me if I am, but is the brown mamba. And I think it's over in Africa or somewhere. And, and uh, they said, you know, if the brown mamba bites you, uh, you, you just have a, a, a few seconds to live and you're gone. You're going to die. I mean, it, there's, no, there's no anti-venom. There's no hope. There's no, there's no way of a cure. You're going to die before you could even get, get any help. So evidently these islanders, they recognized this snake as someone that was, that was going to happen. Because verse 6 says, they expected that he would swell up. And suddenly fall down dead. So I imagine in, uh, in their time upon the Isle of Malta, they had probably had folks go out and they had probably had uh, this same type viper bite someone. And, and uh, there in the next moments they begin to swell and maybe their, their breathing stopped or became shallow and they died. So they're looking at Paul and they say, well, well this is going to happen. But after they looked at him for a long time and saw that no harm came to him, they said, this guy's a god. <laughs> Isn't the crowd so fickle? I mean, aren't they fickle from, from one moment saying, this guy's a murderer, he's evil, God is punishing him, to the very next moment saying, hey, this guy's a god. He's got to be a god. He, he, he's had a, a, a miraculous deliverance. And, and sometimes I think we need to realize, folks, the crowd is fickle. Public opinion is fickle. And, and, you know, if Paul would have listened to that and got wrapped up in that, how, how might it have affected him? But, but Paul realized, hey, I'm on a mission from God. And God has a plan for me. And, and the plan is I'm going to Rome. And this snake's not going to kill me. I'm going to shake it off. Whatever has struck me, whatever's knocked me back, I'm simply going to shake it off and say, well, wait a minute, God has other plans for me. And I'm going to move on and let the crowd say what the crowd will say. I'm a murderer. I'm a God. I'm neither of those things. I'm simply following through on what God has for me. They had a change of mind in, in just a few matter of, a matter of minutes. So what should we make of this incident? So when we look at this, I believe there's, a, there's an authentic case for an apostle's authority. And what I mean by that, I think it's a case in which, which God was giving Paul a, 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 a credentials that people would listen to him. I believe, I believe God had sent Paul to the Isle of Malta and, and he wanted people to see, hey, this is somebody that we need to hear. We need to listen to. He has, he has something to say for us. We find some, some controversial scriptures over in Mark chapter 15. And I, I no doubt you've heard part of these, even if you don't know them. And when I read them, I think you'll understand why they're, why they're controversial. And I kind of want to deal with those this morning. In Mark, it says this, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. And they'll do what? They'll pick up serpents. You ever heard that? 
Boy, the news got on that one time. You know, they showed these people up there picking up snakes and holding them up and going through all of this. Uh, If they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, the last chapter, book of Acts, we see two of those signs manifested in Paul. And we see two of those things take place. He picked up serpents and they did not harm him. And in just a moment, we're going to see that he laid hands on someone and they were healed or they recovered. Uh, But by these things, Paul established among a pagan people, someone that had never heard of God, someone that didn't know who Jesus Christ was, by those things, he he established an authority to speak to those people. Now, now we know that there's those today that use this scripture that they, they want to validate their spirituality by taking up serpents. They want to validate, they want to do something uh, on their own to show others I have this faith. But I want you to notice a couple of things. Notice Paul didn't knowingly handle a snake, did he? He didn't dig around and look for it and say, okay, bite me and I want to show everybody what happened here. I think that's why it's written that way. I don't think he got this snake and turned around and said, Okay, island people, I'm bit by this snake, and I want to show you something that's going to happen. I want you to see my faith. He simply got bit, shook it off, and went back to work. So so he, he, he didn't do it as a demonstration of his faith. Paul and his friends, they were, were taken into a, the city, and I'm going to jump in the middle of verse 7, to the estate of a leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who... who received us and entertained us uh, for three days. And then Paul learned that, that his father had been laying sick of fever in the dysentery. And Paul went in and prayed with him. Now I'm talking about the, the second part. Oh, that's not, is that dysentery? It may or may not be anyway. Y'all put your own name to it. So he's sick anyway. I mean, he's laying there, he's sick, and... And I want you to notice something. Now, what I'm doing right now is I'm simply going back to that verse in Mark. And I want you to see that, that these that take that verse in Mark out of context and try to apply that to their faith somewhere, this is not what Paul was doing. Paul didn't handle a serpent to prove he, he had great faith to demonstrate his faith. He simply bit by a serpent and, and he shook it off and went about his business. He didn't go in presuming that God was going to heal this man. He didn't just just go in and say, I I presume that God's going to heal this man. Look what Paul did. We we see that Paul simply went in and prayed for this man. He he didn't assume that, that he could turn the power of God on and off like a water fountain. Well, I've got the power of God, and I'm going to turn it on, and this person's going to be healed, and then we're going to turn it all, uh, turn it off. Pa- Paul simply acted as as he was determined to do whatever God's plan was, whatever whatever God was was going to take place, whatever God was going to do in this given situation. Paul said, "I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to I'm going to pray about these things." So Paul recognized in the midst of all these things that are happening, God is still with him. God is still in control. God's still on the path. Now, to follow up with what we're talking about, the second thing, God is the only healer. Look in verse 8, and it continues. And when he laid hands on him and he healed him, so when this was done, the rest of the house on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Now, there's something here that I think we need to be sure not to miss out on. This word that's used, the, the, the father of Publius, 
When Paul uses the word healed, he uses a Greek word that means instantaneous healing. So Paul uses that word. He says, when, when I went in, I prayed, I, I laid hands on this guy, I prayed, and God healed him instantaneously. And then if you go on and read in verse 9, it says, And when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had the disease came, and they were also healed. The, the Greek word that Paul uses here refers to a gradual cure. Who was traveling with Paul? Who knows this? Extra bonus question. Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke is traveling with Paul. And when we look at this and we, we have some ep- extra biblical literature, we realize that as this man was instantaneously healed, others on the island become to, be, became, but came to Paul and, and they begin to treat them and Luke began to treat them. And, and through that process of, of a blend of medical skill and through the process of prayer and divine healing, God began to heal those who were sick. So when we look at this, we, we simply don't need to take that passage out of Mark and say, okay, if you've got great faith, you're going to take up sermons. If you've got, if you've got great faith, you're going to be able to go to somewhere. You're going to lay your hands on them. God's going to instantaneously heal them. We need to realize that's not what Paul was doing. And, and, and Paul was simply there saying, I'm going to pray, and, and God is going to take care of the situation. God's the one that brings healing. God's the one that, that intervenes. And, and in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our pains, in the midst of our sicknesses, we need to realize that, that God is the one who brings healing. He may do it many ways. We all can probably think of someone who, who the doctor has said, you know, you, you have no hope or you have little hope and, and you begin to pray for them or people begin to pray for them and the doctor says, well, it's just a miracle. It, it's gone. Your sickness is gone. We, we don't know what happened to it, but, but it's gone. And we can realize that, you know, God did a healing and we may know others that, that they have a problem. They begin to pray about it and they begin to go to doctors. And over the course of time, there's healing brought. And we need to realize God is the one who brings healing. But in this certain situation, after three months when Paul left Malta, they honored him more like a dignitary than they did the prisoner of Rome. He came to Malta as a prisoner. He came with a background that people said, well, he's got to be a murderer. There's got to be something. He's headed to Rome to a prison. He, he's headed this direction. But when he left, look at verse 10. They also honored us in many ways when we departed. And they provided such things that were necessary. They honored them in many ways. See, as God came, he brought healing to the people of Malta. He brought healing to Paul. Through their ministry to Paul, there, there came a healing in a little town of Malta, a little island of Malta. Now, I think this third thing is, is where we hang up sometimes. God may not choose to work out His plans the way we think He should. You ever been there? I mean, you've got a plan. You're on God's path, and, and all of a sudden, things are not working out the way you think they should, the way, the way we, we think it, things need to go. I don't know for sure, but I suspect Paul had his own experiences of how, or his own expectations of how he thought God would send him to Rome. Paul is this great speaker. He's a great orator. He, he gets up and he, he, he can hold your attention. There are some preachers like that that, that I like to listen to because they have, a, they have a great speaking voice and they can hold your attention. And I think Paul was that kind of person. So maybe Paul envisioned this, I'm going to go to Rome 
And when I get to Rome, I'm going to have this great preaching campaign. And there's going to be a huge revival in Rome. After all, God's sending me there. So when I pull into Rome, I, I'm going to be honored there. I'm going, to, I'm going to have a great revival there. It's the greatest city in all the world. And, and I have this vision of this is what's going to happen. But God didn't have those plans. Look at verse 11 through 16. After three months, they sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, and which they had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, they stayed three days. And from there, verse 13... Uh, we circled around and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Putali, verse 14. And there we found brethren, and we were invited to stay there for seven days. And then we went towards Rome, and from there we found more brethren who heard about us. And they came out to meet us from Appy Forum down to Three Inns. When Paul saw them, listen, he thanked God and he took courage. Verse 16. Now when they came to Rome, a centurion delivered the prisoner to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. You know, God sent Paul just what he needed. I mean, we've got to really think about what Paul's going through. He's going to Rome. He's been beaten. He's nearly been killed he's been stoned matter of fact they were fixing to they were fixing to beat him to death and he said i'm a roman citizen you can't do this by law and they all got scared and backed up and said wait a minute he's a really is a roman citizen i mean he was on the brink of death several times and he had this plan and 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 god said you know what paul you need some things before you can go to rome you need to say some things and it says that when paul saw the people who had arrived to welcome him, he thanked God and he took courage. Paul's 120 or 130 miles away from Rome. And he's there and all of a sudden these people come and they say, Hey, Paul, we're come to welcome you. Paul hasn't been there yet, but the gospel has gone before him. And they came out and they, they welcomed him. And, and Paul said, Oh, it's so great to see other Christians. It's, it's great that you came and that you've welcomed me here. And, and it, it's encouraged me so much. And then he goes on, and, and he's about 40 miles from Rome, and that, that Appius, and, and there he discovers even more believers who came. And they encouraged Paul, and they lifted Paul up. So, so God's plan may not be our plan, but we need to realize that, that there's a method, there's a process that God is bringing us through. And through that process, we see that Paul took courage and Paul, Paul realized that, you know what, there are others here, and there are people that, that I can trust, and there are people that's lifting me up in prayer. He thanked God and took courage. Here's the last thing this morning. We're called to be faithful even to the end. After all these things that had happened to Paul, for me, let me tell you, when I got to these other believers, and I'm a hundred miles from Rome... And these other believers come out and they start ministering and they start giving me courage and they start uh, lifting me up and saying, oh, we're so glad you came. Wouldn't it have been easy just to say, you know what, I'm going to hang around here. I mean, I've found a spot. The people like me here. I like being here. I've I, I found a spot and, and I'm gonna, I want to stay a while. But Paul realized I, God has a plan for me. 
And he, he pressed on even to the end. Look at verse 17. Paul, he, he did arrive in Rome. Uh, what he had always had on his mission, what God had called him to do. He invited the local Jewish leadership to come to him and to see him because he couldn't go to them. Remember, he's chained to a guard. Verse 17, and it came to pass after three days, he's in Rome now, that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. And so when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I've done nothing against our people, though I've done nothing against the custom of our fathers, yet I've been delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who... I mean, Paul, look, I want you to think about what Paul said. He, he meets other Jews there, and he says, hey, let me tell you what happened. I've, I've not done anything. I, uh, I had the Jews, and I haven't broken any laws. I haven't broken any customs. But I've still been delivered from Jerusalem to the hands of the Romans, verse 18. Who, when they examined me, who's he talking about? The Romans. When they examined me as a prisoner from Jerusalem, they wanted to let me go because they could find no cause for putting me to death. Verse 19. But when the Jews spoke against it, in other words, the the Romans said, hey, as far as we can tell, he hadn't done anything. But the Jews said, no, no, we, we won't take that. We won't even put to death. When that happened, Paul says, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. Verse 20, For this reason, therefore, I have called you together to see you and to speak with you. Because of the hope of Israel, I am bound in chains. Then they said to him, We neither have received letters from Judah concerning you, nor have any of the brethren came up from that region to report or have spoken any evil of you. Those Jews said, Well, Paul... We haven't heard about you. We, nobody from down there came up and told us anything about you. Nobody's written us. Nobody sent us anything about you. But, verse 22, we desire to hear from you. We want to hear what you think concerning this sect. For we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Paul simply came. He explained his predicament. He pointed out that, you know what, I'm, I'm an innocent victim. I, uh, I, I'm a, I, I've got a, a, a hostile Jewish leadership that's after me. I'm, I've really not done anything, and, and I'm here to Rome. And, and as I'm here in Rome, I, I want to just call you together. And the Jews said, hey, we want to hear, we want to hear about it. We want to hear what, what you've come to do. Now, now, listen to what happened in verse 23. So they appointed him a day, and many came to his lodge. This is their second meeting. To him, they explain, he explained solemnly and he testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Listen, folks, from morning till night. Are y'all in for the next six more hours of this? <laughs> I, I would know it by hearing an amen. <laughs> and I'd know not by not hearing one. So we won't go six more hours. Think about this Bible study that Paul must have gave. Paul took, Paul took the only thing he had, the Old Testament. He, he couldn't say, Jews, would you turn to Acts this morning? Because Luke is writing what Paul's doing as he does it. So he took the Old Testament 
from both the law of Moses and the prophets. And he began to interpret what the Old Testament was concerning Jesus in verse 24. And some were persuaded by the things which he spoke, and some disbelieved. So when they did not argue among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear, and you will not understand. And seeing you shall see, and you will not perceive. For the hearts of his people have grown dull, and their ears hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Verse 28. Therefore let it be known that to you the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, for they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed, and a great dispute rose among themselves. At this point, the Jews began to disagree. Was Christ the Messiah? Was he not the Messiah? Some believed, some didn't believe. And uh, apparently, uh, Paul convinced some by his teaching, but most really didn't believe what he had to say. The book of Acts tells us that in verse 30, Paul dwelt there for two whole years in his own rented house, And he received all who would come to him, and he preached the kingdom of God, and he taught the word concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, and no one was forbidding him. Apparently, as he got to Rome, he did get to speak to the the governor of Rome. He got to speak to the most powerful authorities in Rome. They released him because they couldn't find anything that he had done wrong. He moved into a house there for two years. He, He preached the word of God. He realized that that was his destiny. That's where God had sent him. God had a plan, and and on his way to Rome, he had all of these detours. I want you to think about all the things that happened on his detour. Paul never left a new place that there weren't Christians. So what was he doing? He was spreading the gospel everywhere God left him. You know, today, the census say, how, how much a percentage do you think the Isle of Malta Census say the percentage of people are Christians. It says 100%. Isn't that amazing? All of these years later, now that may not be true. That might not be, if you went to Malta and talked to every person on the Isle of Malta, of course now it's more of a, it's becoming a, a kind of a tourist attraction. But, but a few years ago they said if you went to Malta and you talked to every citizen, they would proclaim to be a Christian. See, what, what Paul had envisioned was, you know what, I'm going to Rome. And what God had envisioned is, Paul, you're going to Rome, but on your way to Rome, I have all of these extra stops I want you to make. And through all of that, Paul remained faithful. I mean, for me, I could see so many times when Paul could have said, I'm just, I'm snake bit. I'm not going to get to Rome. I'm, I'm not going to be where, where God said I was going to be. But all the way... God was saying, okay, Paul, you're going to Rome, but I need you to stop here. I need you to stop here. You're going to winter here. You're going to have a storm here. You're going to have these things. And all of those things were adding up to God's plan for Paul's life. 
Now listen, when we go and tradition says that after that two-year period, Paul's been released, apparently he appeared before all of those folks. At one point in his life, he was thrown back into prison. Not a, not a house arrest, not chained to a guard, but he was thrown into a, a dark, dungy, maritime prison. Following that, he was let out one day, he was knelt down, and his head was cut off. And the great apostle to the Gentiles, he went home to be with the Lord. But listen, y'all remember what Paul said? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And now there awaits before me a crown of righteousness. Would you bow your heads together with me this morning? Paul's vision, Rome. God's plan, a shipwreck, a imprisonment, chained to a guard that all along the way the gospel will be proclaimed. Paul didn't simply shut it off and say, you know, when I get to Rome, I'm going to start preaching the gospel. But everywhere he was stopped, everywhere he spent time, he proclaimed God's word. That was the objective. Sometimes when we're tossed about in life, I, I, I hope in my life I can remember, you know what, there's a plan that God has for me. And, and whatever these little side detours are, I just want to remain faithful. That I might say, as Paul said, you know what, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there awaits for me a crown of righteousness. Father, this morning I pray that during the midst of our shipwrecks and snake bites, Father, we would know that there's a plan. And as your child, as your chosen one, you've not left us or abandoned us. But Father, your plan marches on. Lord, I pray that we'd know that you bring healing in situations that are beyond our control. Not just physical, but Father, mental and spiritual and emotional, Father. You, you're the healer of those things. Father, we access those and we, we reach those things through our time of prayer. Lord, I pray also that we would understand that sometimes our way of, of, of finishing, our, our plans that we had, they're, they're not always your plans, but Father, they're always right. They're always best. They're always true. Lord, I pray today that as we consider our relationship with you, as we consider our walk with you, Father, I pray that this one thing, this new year, this one thing we do, whatever that one thing is you've directed us to, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful, that we would press on to fulfill that calling. I pray, Lord, that when, we, when we're shipwrecked and when we're snake bit, Lord, that we would, we would allow your healing to come. We would allow your faithful to come and encourage us and we would take heart and we would find hope. Lord, I pray today that your spirit would move within our hearts. I pray that we'd be about your business and you'd direct our thoughts. And I pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.